0: Hey, good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. And today I have super special guest, Colin Ruskin, the CEO of Work Optima. Also, what, 30 years of software development experience you have? I mean, just like a font of information in this topic.
1: I don't know about a lot of information, but a lot of opinions.
0: Yeah. Well, opinions tend to come from a great deal of experience. So I was talking to you one day, and you were really... Hitting on some uh, incredibly valuable topics associated with right-sized software, and you know, so right, so spot on with your analysis that I thought it would be fantastic to share with the audience. So that's our topic for today: is right-sized software. So why don't you start us off with? Some high-level concepts about what you think are right size software and then i'll i'll inject questions
1: yeah thank you very much glad to be here um it's a i think it's 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 an interesting problem because it's the problem that i faced as either a a vendor of software or a purchaser of software and i think if we talk about it let's even just start by talking about it as a purchaser of software what i discovered in in various times in my history depending on the size of the company you know, looking for, let's say, a backup solution or a firewall or any piece of technology um, is, can I actually use it and can I actually benefit from it? And at the same time, what are the minimum features that I actually need to make it useful? And what I discovered is, I take backup software as an example. My needs as a small company were no less sophisticated than my needs as a big company. I still had to back it up. I still have to have retention. I still have to have scheduling. I still have to be able to retrieve it. I still have to be able to restore it. But then what I discovered is if I bought like, I don't know, the $69 backup software, many times it had great features, but it just didn't do enough. And then on the other hand, you go and find the product that can do what a big company wants, which invariably is a product that was formerly a true enterprise product, that that vendor has now sort of repackaged and sort of said, now here's my offering for the SMB space. Then you ended up getting something that was so complicated that you almost needed to have like a full-time professional and staff to look after this product. So it's not really SMB, it's still sort of enterprise with with a new piece of lipstick on the front. And consequently, you just ramble around inside this thing. You can't use it, you don't really use it efficiently. Uh, even the conversation we were having earlier today, like about firewalls. I mean, so you get some fancy, sophisticated firewall. It ticks a gazillion boxes because it's the enterprise, everything. But I lack the skill or the expertise to really be able to configure it and use it. So invariably, I end up with using it in open, 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 open mode, default security, meaning open, so that I can actually use it. And consequently, it's actually doing nothing. So there's a real challenge here to actually find software that does what you need with a level of sophistication and yet uh, has the feature set that is actually required because the small business feature set is not less complicated than the enterprise feature set.
0: Well, to that point, um, you know, price point is always an issue. And it seems as though very few software companies understand that they need to have a reasonable floor that you can enter at, you can master that particular feature set and that they should be modularizing additional feature sets that when you're ready, you know, you've mastered this kind of smaller feature set and that's all you're paying for. When you're ready for the next level of functionality, you should be able to just buy some more licensing from them and they turn on this additional feature set for you. We use some software like that and it is phenomenal in its ability to be flexible to the needs of the organization and grow with their needs as their needs change. But so few software does that.
1: You know, I'm not sure I even agree with that. Um, mm. Like my own experience, we used to sell software like that where it's all these options, right? The okay. problem that I discovered as on the sales side is that the customer doesn't actually understand enough about what they're buying. They say, I need to solve this problem. And then the sales cycle doesn't go through every one of those nuances to be sure that all of these options are are checked on in the purchasing process. And I think what we've discovered now, just on the sales side is that we've basically turned around and said our products now are all features all the time. Everybody gets everything. The only piece that we're licensing now is the number of users or the volume of traffic or the only metric that the customer can understand. Because what we're trying to avoid now is the converse, which says, I finally bought this thing. And the very first conversation I have to have with the customer says, oh, well, you forgot to buy the steering wheel and the tires. Well, sorry. I mean, you should have known that. And, And then we have this conversation on day one that says, oh, you needed the steering wheel and the tires. And the customer says, well, of course, I needed the steering wheel and the tires. You know that. And then you end up having to kind of throw in the freebie. So we've actually gone completely the opposite. And I think Now it's just everything is in the box. And I'm kind of, I kind of feel that I would prefer that at the buying side as well, so that I'm not finding out that what I really need is omitted. Um, But I also understand. So I, I think today, particularly as you've moved now to more and more hosting products, more and more products online, I think it's way easier just to license like volume or traffic or usage or CPU cycles or something that somebody can use as a metric and not deal with 26 options that you've got to include and therefore you just don't know what you didn't buy.
0: Well, I can see the the validity and usefulness for both models. I mean, if you look at like Zoho One is a great example of the example Mm -hmm. you just provided, which is you get everything and you're basically paying for per user. And if I recall correctly, what is it like a two user minimum? Two or three users? Probably. It, it's very, very minor. You know, they So they've lowered that floor, made it so that you can really get in there. And uh, the price point is such that you don't have the pressure to feel that you have to use all the features. If you use maybe five features, you feel like you're still getting the commensurate level of financial mm-hmm. value for what you're paying for. Um, the the software that I was talking about, where we're able to license additional modules, you know, those modules are not inexpensive, and and it makes it so that you can utilize the modules that you need in that context for that company without having to buy all the other things. So it it gives you a way to reduce the floor, mm-hmm. and you're only mm-hmm. paying for what you need. Now, to be fair that software is really intended to be consumed by people like myself who understand the differences in those modules. So maybe that's why it works because the sales cycle is intended at an audience like me.
1: So, so you, 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 you know, Zoho is a good example and I don't mean to pitch for Zoho here because I'm not, but, but I think what's interesting if you look at Zoho is they took I think they know who their customer target market is. They know what the size of the enterprise is. And they said, we're not Salesforce. And we kind of come in way below that in terms of who their target market is. Good example of right size. So basically, Zoho says, we've got all this great stuff in the box, but for a hell of a lot less money, you can get started and use the product. Everything's included and switch it on and enjoy it or don't bother, but it's all there. And they understand their their target market and they don't try and go after, you know, the so-called giant enterprise, as far as I'm concerned. Um, But then you look at another kind of a company, uh, probably don't want to mention their names, but used to be like Enterprise Backup. And they are, you know, once upon a time, it's probably $20,000 or $50,000 worth of backup strategy and solution, right? And then they decided, well, we've run out of enterprise customers to sell this stuff to. So now we're going to find a way to sell this to the mid-market. Um, so basically what they did is they took half the product and stripped out you know, the reporting and stripped out the module and stripped out the steering wheel and took off the tires and took out the doors and left you like just with the engine. Um But fundamentally, the company is still selling an an ultra enterprise product that is not right sized for me. And now suddenly I'm at a price point which looks attractive because my price point of entry says I'm not way out of what would have been the right sized version of the software. So I think maybe I should buy the, the bigger piece of kit because I'm kind of on an equivalence. But what I've really acquired, if I'm not smart about this, is I've still acquired the enterprise drama and the enterprise mindset from the vendor who is not actually trying to really sell to SMB, but is really just trying to increase their market share because they've run out of the 10 enterprises to sell to. Okay? And that's the fundamental difference what I'm talking about. So I have less of a problem if you said to me, like, I don't know, product that you were referring to that you bought for your company has three or four modules. I get it. You don't need the red module, the blue module, and the green module because we're not in that business. Don't buy them. But I'm hoping that the product who you're talking about, that the vendor who built that product understands the target market and therefore has the right complexity and feature set in there. Because what I struggle with is like a lot of smaller businesses, you're doing a lot of the stuff yourself. You just don't have 10 people in the IT department. I don't have a dedicated backup guy and a dedicated reporting guy and a dedicated DevOps person and a dedicated you know red door person and green door person and yellow door person. So I don't have the resources to devote to each of those skill sets. And consequently, I'm never really able to use that true enterprise product at the level of usefulness that I think I have. So I've really just spent a ton of coin and I'm going to drown inside this thing and I'm actually going to under underuse and under benefit from what I've bought. And it maybe worst case, I don't even configure it properly. So I'm ending up with just a rambling piece of code that's really not that good anyway.
0: And to that point, there are a lot of organizations that try to address that specific problem by utilizing the services of managed services providers, you know, outsourced IT service providers to supplement their internal IT
2: department. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, it does have a lot of benefit from that perspective. Like my team is an expert in software packages that we see across more than a hundred customers and have, Mm -hmm. you know, 20 years of experience with, Mm -hmm. and then our customers' internal IT departments are able to leverage that. So Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, when you utilize that kind of model, you're able to make use of an enterprise grade Mm -hmm. product, but still have it at a price point that's SMB friendly. But if you had to try to do all of that in-house with just internal IT, I I think that would be uh, an it'd it'd be it's completely unreasonable as an expectation.
1: Right. And I mean, your your point of. Layering in some third-party services via the MSP or whomever to provide that functionality, very valid and and clearly uh, can allow a smaller business to benefit from a from a good product. But I still come back to I still come back to the need within the product itself, even though it's finally configured and it's working and whatever else. You know, there's not everybody wants everything to always be third-party managed. And sometimes, even when you just look at the product, you want to kind of go in there and look at something yourself or or or, or review something, and it's like, I don't know, screen after screen after screen after screen of arcane stuff that is just overwhelmingly uh, complicated and overwhelmingly uh, just not just not appropriate. Um, so I I, I still. While I agree with you that there's the need for the third party and that makes a lot of sense, I still feel that there's really the need when you're selecting your vendor to actually understand that the vendor sees you as the correct target for their customer, Mm -hmm. that the vendor actually started life making the product for that market space, that they didn't either just build a three-line app and say, well, we can sell this for, you know, it's It's the same effort to sell this little app for $4 as it is to sell it for $500. So now suddenly we're in the $500 market space, but it's still actually a $4 app because there's clearly customers who do, you know, clearly vendors who do that. And their websites will show you how marvelous their product is, but when you start pushing buttons, it's still a $4 app. And the converse is the $50,000 vendor who now thinks it's a $5,000 app, but they don't want to give up the revenue. So what they're basically doing is they just, shaving everything off and selling you pieces and pretending they're going to get away with it. So I don't know. It's it's a fine line. I still maintain it's oh, a fine line.
0: It's very complicated. And I mean, I feel like if our clients didn't have us as partners in that product selection process, mm-hmm. I don't actually know how they'd be able to make an informed decision because it is so complex. You know, our clients have that institutional knowledge of their organization, what they need, and you know, we're doing a lot of co-managed IT, and it's you know a lot of the things that you say are the the things that I have used as uh, a navigational point all these years in my business is seeking to find solutions that are actually appropriate for the target audience. So I'm looking for that let's have some some of the enterprise grade features because you know little baby versions of software don't quite cut it because we do have compliance requirements. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, if you go, you know, if it's too high of a product, then there's that complexity gap, you have too much counterparty risk, you have to rely too much upon third parties like A great example of that is I don't use Sentinel One. One of the reasons I don't use Sentinel One is because first off, I don't think it's a comprehensive tool set for the needs compared to an alternative, but also I would have to get Sentinel One from another provider, and then I would be reselling that to my clients. So how many intermediaries are we supposed to have here in between the end customer of the software And the software manufacturer and who's actually responsible for what Mm -hmm. in that chain, you know, so the more counterparty risk that exists there, uh, it's it's problematic, you know, on the other hand, the software that we do use, I have a direct relationship with the software vendor. And -hmm. because of the volume that we do, we're able to have a very, very high value relationship Mm -hmm. with the software vendor directly, which I can then bring to benefit to the clients.
1: So but I'm in agreement, it's right? So I'm in agreement where you know who your customer is and let's say it's an X size business and you've gone out and picked, I don't know, five or six products that are part of your suitcase that you deliver to your customer and they are so-called appropriate for your target market. You've built the expertise in managing and configuring these things and you delivered it. So let's, let's say that that's not the conversation for a moment because that's the conversation yeah. that says you've apply the expertise, right? Okay, let's take this around a little bit. Let's pretend you're shopping for product for your own business. So suddenly you're buying something that says, I am now buying professional services automation software, or I'm now buying a CRM, or I'm buying something that I'm gonna use to manage my own business not that I'm going to be responsible for deploying that to my customers. In other words, this is the area where you don't truly have expertise, i.e. you're going to use it yourself. And it's out of the norm. In other words, you only buy a CRM once or you only buy a product management tool once, you know, hopefully.
0: And it's a huge investment of labor.
1: And it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to acquire the product. It's a lot of money to get the thing operational. And you can't keep changing your mind every six months and start again. Okay. So now we're stuck. So now we're not, we don't really have the right trusted advisor who can tell us what to really buy because we're trying to shop. We number two, have in our mind some preconceived notions of how we want our projects to work, how we want our implementations to work. We have some idea. I mean, you could always go and buy, if we're talking PSA, you know, the product out of Florida and you can, you can, drink the lemonade and they'll tell you how to run it and your business will do everything the way they think it's supposed to work. Good or bad, you could deal with that nonsense. Or you could say, well, I'm actually a little bit different than this and I want to be a bit different. And the challenge you're going to face is now, how do you actually find the right sized version of that software?
0: Yeah, it's brutally hard. And it's a real
1: challenge because now it's really brutal because you could say to yourself, well, I should go out and buy... Salesforce, as an example, it's going to do everything. And then you're going to do the math and it's going to be, I don't know, 300 or $400 a month per technician by the time you've bought all the modules. And another $100,000 of some professional services company to tell you how they're going to rewrite Salesforce to customize it to do what you want. Okay. I don't know how much budget you have for this nonsense, but that's a big budget. Yeah. Then, and
0: it, it reminds me of uh, SAP.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's going to look like that. And it's a great product if and when you get to the end, but it's just not viable for, it's just not viable, right? Um, Or you're going to say, okay, I'm going to go and buy ACT or whatever the flavor of ACT is that exists today, which is probably $60 for the whole catastrophe. And you get everything for $60. and, And it actually does a hell of a lot, but just not enough. So, you know, if only I could have the sales automation part of act and the name and address book, but I need a project tool that fits on the back of it. And then you'll go into the open source world and you'll see 20 million project management tools when you search on the Internet. And every one of them will say interfaces to everything using Zapier or some connectors. And you'll be in this world of, I don't know, rolling your own.
0: Well, and then, and- you, ha- then you have to hire two full-time developers to babysit all of that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and or and or you're gonna find and or you're gonna find when the one upgrades, then this version doesn't talk to that version, and this version I don't know. Like it's just right. I know it's terrible. Just I blood. know. And and the question is, how do you actually get to the bottom of this? How do you actually make a decision? And I know personally, I can go round and round and round and round and round and round in circles, and I can read. All the propaganda on the websites, and I can tell you now, the propaganda on all the websites is outstanding. Companies do that part so well. You laugh, but that's the reality. That's probably the part that Lamp. they do best.
0: I know I'm laughing because you're so right.
1: <laughs> and then I can click on the tools and I can download hundreds of these things to test them. Yeah. And I can bury myself in thousands of hours and still not get to a conclusion. <laughs> yes. And. And I'm struggling, and, you know, the,
2: and the I companies... don't understand,
1: and I just don't understand how to really make that decision at, at a price point in a budget, because I think, I think it's so close, but then this one feature, this other feature, ugh, it doesn't have that, rule it out.
0: Right, right.
1: And start again.
0: It, and I feel like so many of the software vendors have failed to look at the competitive landscape and say boy you know if we're going to compete in this particular market and we need to go look at who else in the market is doing stuff really well that is in our same space Mm -hmm. and we need to have at least the feature sets that they have and do them as well and then we should seek to find the things that don't work well in those software packages and seek to do those as well. And then, oh my goodness, let's actually take customer feedback. And even better yet, the thing that I love to do is I love to go into the community forums Mm -hmm. for a piece of software before I buy it. Because if you Mm want to find out, you know, what people are really, really, really thinking Mm -hmm. about a software Those community forums are fantastic. And there's more and more pieces of, you know, there's more and more software companies that just have a Slack page or they're doing it on Discord or something like that. And Mm -hmm. you can get involved there and kind Mm -hmm. of involved in that community and really ask questions that there's no possible way you could ever get answered through a call with a a sales representative, for example.
1: So the only way I've reached any happiness in life in this regard is I've I've started telling people and I know when we were when we are a software vendor and we're being evaluated and or and or we're and or I'm trying to buy I try no longer to look for the features because I get lost and you know everybody's got a cut and paste everybody's got copy everybody's got templates everybody's got steps but I can tell you now you know, stand on your head and blow bubbles to use their cut and paste. Click 14 times on this page to be able to use the template, and click 19 times here to find out where it works. But nobody's going to tell you that. So the only thing that I've done now is I've tried very hard to write down the the use case steps. In other words, I want to see how you build the invoice. I want to see how you actually transact. Yep. Okay. And then I've tried to run the transaction through the product because it's. Yep. And. And I've tried to do that. And I've also asked customers, I think if you're evaluating us, don't ask me stupid questions like, can you cut and paste? Can you reverse? Because it's, it's not relevant. Because I'm never going to tell you, no, I can't, right? Because nobody's going to say they can't. And RFPs that ask you, you know, can you cut and paste are just the most asinine useless RFPs. So I've, I've got to the model now that says, write down what the transaction is. I want to be able to do the order update the invoice, create the customer, build the customer. And I've asked the customer, I've said, okay, now I'm going to execute the transaction in the so-called demonstration or test. And I basically am counting the number of times I have to stand on my head and blow bubbles to kind of make it work. And then I've tried to say to the customer, keep a secret or two to yourself. And then when I'm there, Demonstrating my product or as I'm trying to look at your product, then br- bring out the secret question: like, how would you do this? And ask as a vendor, ask me to prove that I can. And or and or if I'm testing software, I try to do the same. And then you get a very good understanding of, of the capability of the product because Uh, some vendors will say, oh, wow, well, that's, you know, 300 hours of professional services. Of course we could do that. You know exactly where you're heading to. Let's do this, that, and the other. And I think that's the very good test of right size. Um, And I think that's right now my best chance of success, but it's incredibly time-consuming because you go so far down this transaction and with so many products to you you know propaganda looks good product looks good story looks good oh gosh i'm stuck and it's really 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 hard especially when when i'm shopping to find what i really want and to and to figure out that it's actually right for me
0: yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because that is the exact process that I use for software vetting <laughs> because the, the ultimate thing that actually matters is my data, my transaction, my workflow. Mm-hmm. How do you interact with the software in order to put your data in such that you get the data output that you're looking for and what is the burden rate? Is the uh-huh. uh, is it even technically possible to do in that software? And that ultimately, I feel like few organizations map out their whole workflow and truly understand their process before they go demo some software. And there's too much of them trying to like software companies trying to shove people's processes into whatever the software company's workflow is as opposed to saying you know look you can interact with our software in these various ways and it's agile to your particular workflow you know you can input the data in these ways and you can also output it in these ways and ultimately you know it, it's just a much more flexible mm-hmm. more satisfying mm-hmm. product as as a result of that Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um in so many ways, I, I feel like there's so many software packages that could be better if there was more opportunity for an open dialogue between customers who are able to effectively articulate usable feedback
2: mm-hmm. to
0: the developers and that the developers are interested in hearing and that the management is also interested in uh, hearing that to make the product better.
1: And uh, now you open up another can of worms. So I think that the challenge comes because I think far too few product managers actually go go on the sales calls and the demonstration with the customers. I think what happens is the product manager Does a lot of over their shoulder review of who they perceive their competitors to be. And then they write these agile, these stupid agile stories, you know, product must be able to cut and paste, product must be able to dance, product must be able to do this. And they leave it up to somebody to implement the feature, right? And, And it becomes about me too and being able to tick the box and look like who I perceive my competitors to be, as opposed to the actual where the rubber hits the road, what's really being asked of me is not that at all. What's really being asked of me is something a little bit different, but I failed to grasp that. So I implemented the me too situation. I didn't actually implement what was being asked for on the ground. And I think a hell of a lot of improvement would be done if if some of the product managers were actually on the ground doing the sales call or actually interacting with the customer either in the support department or the sales department. And actually we're getting a good feel for what's happening where the rubber hits the road as opposed to looking over their shoulder and saying, well, if they've got this feature, we better have this feature. And then the features are not really the same. They're just some weird concoction of mess.
0: To that point, the conversations with the product managers and customers are completely missing uh, when the product manager isn't there listening to, hey, you know, at what point in time is your software no longer going to be dependent upon this deprecated end of life, you know, library or this other dependency, right? So because that doesn't necessarily happen in the sales department that often, But customers are bringing that up because customers are doing internal vulnerability scanning, and they're looking at and saying, "Hey, you know, why is your software package dependent upon this thing that was dead in 2011? Right? When are you going to get rid of that dependency?"
1: And topic the topic that's near and dear to your heart, right? Yeah, right,
0: yeah. And I mean, and I've had conversations with some product managers about that, and I feel like either they didn't choose to take it seriously 10 years ago or their management team doesn't give them that kind of backing that they need to actually make addressing that a priority
1: you know it's a very it's a very difficult question from a from like as a product company as a software company it's a difficult question and i can tell you the following because Every software company is probably always behind on features that the customer is asking for, you know, one more click, one more screen, one more button. Okay. You're always behind and it's always another release, another release, another release. And you end up with a sort of iceberg situation where you've got, you know, millions of lines of code that nobody really sees and they probably don't appreciate. And then the three buttons on the top that they use and they want to click on that, that's what the customer is perceiving they're actually paying for. And it becomes an incredibly expensive exercise. And you really need to be on top of this to continue to put energy into fixing the below the water iceberg. uh, As much as you're prioritizing one more click, one more feature, one more feature. And companies that can find that balance between the sort of fixing the legacy code as well as adding features and kind of keep that moving forward. uh, that's That's a real challenge and it's a real skill. And I think, sadly, many companies just find it very, very difficult to keep updating the sort of the legacy portion of the code because they just, it's kind of working. It ain't broken. Nobody's crying about it until they cry. And... And I'm being marked on the three more clicks I have on the front end, which is where I'm being which is where I'm being evaluated. And it's a it's 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 a real it's a real problem that affects this industry. It's a real, real it's it's not been solved by anybody, to be honest.
0: Well, so you know, I mean you, you just brought up a really salient point, which is that if the customers would start to demand security as the top priority feature, and probably security validation, third-party security assessments, if these were mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. questions that they were asking for, I feel like uh, the priority, the priorities would have to change because- 100%, you
1: know, 100%. So,
0: so the problem also lies with the customers, not being, uh, cognizant of the security implications
1: well you know back to the very beginning topic of right sizing i think you know when you're buying the product the first time and you're trying to buy it for yourself for your own use you know there's there's just so many parameters number one is it actually going to work number two can i actually live with this thing number three Will I actually ever be able to really configure it and actually make it do what I need it to do? And I think those topics seem to come first because, I mean, I have nothing to discuss if the thing can't even do what I want. And then I think that very quickly starts to cull the herd because there's not a, you know, I don't know, back to whatever you're shopping for right now, when you really get down to it. Although the Google search will tell you there's 300 companies that provide this feature. When you actually start down to get there and you found the few that actually work the way you want, this herd is getting quite thin quite quickly. And the question is is, can you find in that herd the few that have not only got the clicks and features and functionality, but now can you add this dimension to the problem which says it's actually properly executed or properly built or properly done? And, and it's difficult. And then I think in another peculiar way, and maybe we're not even going to agree on this point, but in another peculiar way, a lot of companies have acquired code and product and code base through acquisition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And not everything is even written, you know, not every company's written everything and, and incremented it, but they've acquired stuff. And over the lifetime, the skill set came and went from the business, but they've still got this legacy piece of product, right? And Funnily enough, ignoring the security implications, this piece of product actually works really well, and there's a lot of customers on it. Um, and they've lost the they've lost the knowledge base as to how they actually got there, and what this thing actually does. And there's a huge resistance to taking the risk to actually uh, building, fixing, and changing. And they kind of just keep milking it for whatever revenue they can get out of it, as opposed to re. I don't know, rejuvenating or inventing or starting fresh and doing something new. And again, it's, it's, it's part of this, it's part of this, this whole problem is who, you know, what is this vendor? Re- what is this vendor's real story? And who is this vendor actually focused on selling to? And who is this vendor actually focused on taking care of? And by golly, we're back to square one. It's, it's so hard to actually figure out facts from fiction. And, and sadly, I think nine-tenths of the time, you only find out the facts after you've, you know, every house looks nice, but you only find out the facts about the neighborhood after you moved in there.
0: Well, You <laughs> we just didn't know,
1: sadly, at the time that there was a grow up three blocks away.
0: Well, this is where, I mean, I, I have had the greatest amount of success that I have had has, has been in terms of, Forums, you know, maybe it's the the Slack channel or the Discord channel. Uh, maybe it's a channel on Reddit that's dedicated to that specific thing. And you know, yes, there is. I mean, if you look at Reddit, there is going to be some absolute garbage out there. However, if you find a hundred posts talking mm-hmm. about People who have experienced billing issues when they deal with Kaseya and people saying, hey, Kaseya is a very difficult biz- a company to do business with, that's a data point. You know? <laughs> um, so And that's a data point that you normally would not be able to obtain except through this pain point. And um, my personal experience uh, with Kaseya is that they are a very difficult business to do business with. And despite what you may think about software, like let's say you like their software, but if the billing experience is just unworkable, you know, that's a problem. And how easy is it to do business with the company you're trying to do business with? That's got to be one of those evaluative factors you're using in your software vendor selection.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't get into specifics on any product. I have no knowledge of 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 the examples that you're right. saying, but a hundred percent, I mean, some companies are just easier to work with than others. Right. And some companies. Uh, so it's, a, it's another question, right. But it's part of the evaluation matrix. Like, are they actually ignoring the transaction? Does it actually work? Um, are they actually in it for the long game or are they in it for the transaction? And I think increasingly today, businesses, particularly many of, you know, they, they very focused on, on the stock market. They're very focused on reporting to investors. They're very focused on, on, on the quarter, you know, what's there today. So there's a very high percentage of businesses. I think who, who just can't play the long game because the, the stock market, the investors, the, the equity doesn't reward the long-term game that, you know, it's, it's show me the quarter, show me the quarter, show me the quarter and we can go public or show me the quarter, show me the quarter and we can flip this. And, somebody else will get the bag of mess. Um, and, and I think it's part of the evaluation process, but it's difficult um, trying to understand who the company is behind the product and who the management are behind that product. And are they actually interested in playing the long-term game? Like, do they actually want me to be there versus am I just part of the churn? And, you know, you know they smile when I'm buying, but, you know, it's what is good buy. You know, it's a good buy when you buy it and it's a good buy when you get rid of it, you know, and two different sides of the buy. Um, and I don't know, it's, 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 it's a difficult, it's a diff- It's another complicated piece of the puzzle.
0: Well, you know, one one thing that's really come up lately is that it has become very evident on quite a few forums that there is a particular software company that most of the IT service provider industry is very displeased with. And that software company seems to have a lot of funding to spend on resources who are trolling social media and then seeking to find people who are expressing disgruntlement publicly about how they've been treated by that company. And you know, if, if what they did with that data was to say, You know, this is like, we've got these 50 people who are all expressing the same concern and they're so disgruntled with it that when they took it to their account manager, like nothing happened with it. So they're so unhappy about it. They had to go out on Reddit and talk about it. You know, they're not taking that data point and saying, hey, let's do something about that. Let's fix it. No, instead, instead, what they're doing is they, they are employing people to go find out who this person is, and to go call the company that that person works for, to go talk to their boss, to go berate them and harass them, and I've seen this happen. Yeah, I haven't well, been on the receiving end of it, thank God. But you know,
1: yeah, I- well, well, I mean, you can, you know, you can ask countries that put like a blanket firewall that says, you know, we cannot get international news in this country. We cannot censor everything. You know, some Eastern Bloc countries or whatever, and. Yeah, I mean, for a while it works like that and you can fight the news, but eventually the truth comes out. And I think to your point, it's just kind of a fool's paradise. I mean, either you're going to fix the problem or you're going to kind of always pretend that it doesn't exist. And I guess at the end of the day, it's probably cheaper long-term to actually fix the problem, but it's, yeah. but it's, it's definitely in the short-term, not cheaper. In the short-term, well, it's easier just to put a restraint on and scream and shout and get everybody to shut up. But well, I don't think that solves the problem, but again but again, we're back to the problem of, of right-sizing the product and trying to understand uh, trying to understand who you're dealing with. And it's right. really, really difficult. And again, the more I look today on the internet or whatever, you don't get a feel for who the company is. What you get a feel for is, you know they've got a a very expensive website. They spent a lot of money doing this. They got slick marketing. They got an automation platform. When you click the button, you're going to get hounded by email for the rest of your life. They got that part figured out pretty good. But the actual substantive part so many times is just 65 miles behind where the marketing department is.
0: You know, I had an experience where I was looking for a piece of software in the category of SASE, which is secure access, secure edge. And I'm looking at all these different websites and I couldn't tell head nor tails who their market was, what the floor was for their product. Um, Who was their target market? Couldn't tell Mm -hmm. any of that baloney. Mm -hmm. I had to go into a platform that I have access to as like a reseller partner and get into the back end data that only reseller partners have access to in order to find out. That this company has, you know, a very, very expensive barrier to entry and that they're really only appropriate if you have 250 endpoints that you want to use for this, right? So it's like their own website didn't Mm -hmm. even cover the most basic filtering Mm -hmm. of... You know, do you have 250 computers you want to put into this? No? Well, then our product just isn't the right thing for you. Right? I mean, like you would think that would be the first thing on their webpage, but no.
1: So, and and I think for me, again, buying product and trying to use product or for that matter, selling product, I think it's important to your point, fairly early on, you know, like like dating fairly early on. Like, do you actually like this person? Like, do you think there's a future here? And if we can't get the, you know, if we can't have a pleasant coffee date, then we're never gonna become a. We're just not gonna create a relationship. And uh, or or sadly, we'll be really happy on the coffee date, and then I'll discover afterwards that well, you don't like this, you don't like this, you don't like this. So I shouldn't have dated you anyway. So I, I think that's that's a challenge with the industry. I think we're just yeah. really good at, at telling the story, but it's really hard to find substantive facts and substantive use cases in, in a model that actually serves what I'm trying to do at the level of which I'm trying to do it. Mm -hmm. And I, that's why whenever I found product that I've been really happy with, I I've always wanted to you know, shout about that to whomever and say, you know what, this this makes sense. I can get my head around this. This makes sense. And, you know, I, I kind of almost think that that makes sense to do that as a way of describing uh, where you should be. And that certainly doesn't mean that I should just be buying the product that 99% of everybody else bought because sadly, I don't always agree with that as being the right choice, you know, just because everybody else bought product A that's not necessarily going to suit me. I don't know why yeah. I think like that, but that's just my contrarian head.
0: Um, I don't think it's a contrarian opinion. I, I think it's that you're actually engaging in critical thinking. There's way too much herd mentality that goes on. And I encounter this in my industry where people are like, oh, you know, you just got to go buy Sentinel One. It's like, I don't have a problem with Sentinel One. I don't think Sentinel Run has all of the feature set that I require in the technology stack, and if I have found another product that actually has more features and is easier to have a relationship with the software vendor than Sentinel One, then maybe that's a better fit. And that doesn't make Mm -hmm. me contrarian, Mm -hmm. it means that I've engaged in critical thinking about what's actually the right fit. But I started with a requirements definition, which is, you know, what we talked about a bit of before, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. look at what you're actually trying to get the software to do for you.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And then you're, if you're going to evaluate the software, it should be saying, this is my workflow Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and I'm going to try and take my workflow and put it through the software and see how that works. Um, I got a new payroll provider recently. And I was in this meeting with the payroll provider and they're like, well, this is how our system works. And I'm like, well, that ain't going to work. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, look, this is how we do stuff. Isn't there a way to utilize your platform so that we can continue to have our business process, but we can still use your platform? And yes, we worked out a way to do it, but it's like, you know, you have to start with that business process first. And it's, yeah. that doesn't make and I it contrarian.
1: No, and I think that's where I'm. That's where I kind of started this, is which sort of says you have to be able to describe the process as best as you can, and you have to try and execute the process as best as you can, not be beguiled by all the noise, and then see how many clicks it actually takes to execute that, and how many clicks it actually took to configure this beast to be able to get to that point. And if you can get those two things kind of uh, on a parallel, then you've probably got a good chance of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I've got the other the other beef I've had over the years too, is where I was actually very happy with a product, which is a kind of a stupid product pro, uh, a situation, where I was really happy with the product, but then the company whose product it was decided that they needed to go upstream. And it just became overwhelmingly complicated because they took what was fundamentally not uh, something super complex. And they added so many bells and whistles and complexities to this thing that it suddenly became some obscene monster that I just got left behind uh, because my use case didn't really change, but I guess they wanted to go upmarket, like massively upmarket.
0: And they apparently failed to realize that they should have maintained the base product and they could have added the new product.
1: As something else. Right. Probably. Or they were adding features in response to their customers and I just wasn't atypical and, you know, my needs just didn't evolve. Um, And I, I, I mean, that's maybe true because, you know, what I was doing with the product on day one, I still just needed to do it, you know, on day two and day three and day four, I didn't need to change. Um, but each time I upgraded from their product, V1, V2, V3, because you have to upgrade, um, they just went on a different direction. Eventually, I just was lost. I don't even remember what I was trying to solve with this product anymore. It just became so foreign. So you know,
0: there, There's two companies that I know. One is uh, a cabling company, and another one is a window and door installation company. Mm -hmm. And those two companies have been around for at least 20 years. And approximately 20 years ago, they decided to build their own software platform. And when I talk to the owners of those businesses, Mm -hmm. they have zero regrets for all of the time and energy and money that they've spent on software developers to build a platform that they own. They design. They control the feature set on. They control the software development lifecycle. You know, they control the direction of that product, and through that elimination of that third-party risk management process, uh, they are so much more satisfied. And I think the part that they kind of struggle with is the security side of that, and that that I think can be addressed. You know, right? and I, I wish that there was more opportunity for a company to look at that kind of custom software development instead of this concept. Like, I mean, if I'm going to buy a professional services administration tool, I am really restricted to mm-hmm. looking at what's available at the market and really, truly dissatisfied with everything that's in the market. On the other hand, how much money would I actually need in order to build my own PSA and how long would it take?
1: Forever and you'll never achieve success. Um, yeah, I can't agree with that either because I think what I see, what I see when I look at that is I, you know, I, I see it from customers too, you know, well, our needs are very simple. We just need to do A, B, and C. Okay. So, you know, the ostensibly from, from far, you know, every mountain from far doesn't look like there's rocks. It looks like you could run up the mountain in your socks. It's like, you know, it's not a big deal. Right. And then when you get to the rock face, you realize earlier smokes, this is not something I can run up in my socks. I actually need hiking boots and crampons and ropes and axes and picks. And you'll find very quickly, your needs seem simple. Then you're going to find that you've now got this team of developers working for you to which you become beholden because this product can't do anything except be evolved with the same team. And I think you're just going to find that the costs run away with you, theoretically anyway. And the third party integration that you may need because now you want to change out this piece or this pager or this tool or this technology, you can't do because they were custom written onto a specific API. So you just don't have that flexibility. And then eventually those people are going to say, well, I'm moving on and I'm going to a new opportunity and a new company. And then you're going to be caught standing there in a very vulnerable position. So I I don't know that. Now, if maybe I was the enterprise, I am Walmart. Clearly, if I was Walmart and I'm the enterprise, yeah, I'm going to get my own development team. I'm going to build my own product. But my strategic advantage as Walmart, and I don't mean to single out Walmart, but my strategic advantage in Walmart is probably my whole supply chain software. So, I could see absolutely they need to build this because this is their strategic advantage and this is probably their secret sauce. But I think for the run of the mill business, and certainly where I am, like a smaller business, there's no way that I would want to make that investment in building everything. You know, oh, my needs are simple and it's not, and because I know as sure as sin when I get there, it's not going to be trivial. It's never trivial, it just looks from far, it looks simple till you get there. Um, And you're going to be caught, you're going to just be caught with, in my opinion anyway, you're going to just be caught uh, unable to sustain that. And eventually you're going to have to move on and come back full circle and buy a product. Having said that, the only time I would say is that if you truly can't execute your transaction, then I might contemplate just that one little module or one little piece of customization or one little piece of code to service that need. But again, I would caution that because I think. Most products tend to have a fairly defined test use case. The vendor who's built the product tests it, you know, A, B, C, D sequential steps. And you're probably better off to be on the sequential steps that they test because it means that it's more likely to be upgradable, more likely to be satisfied, more likely to be the route with less bugs. You know, if you... Buy the product where they're testing ABC, and then you try to use it in some peculiar motion. For sure, every bug in that product you're going to find, and every weakness you're going to find, and you're going to have a lot of pleasure. So don't go there. So small business, no. You got to just buy, find something that works.
0: So uh, one thing that we haven't talked about yet is the evaluation of the exit strategy. As part of your software selection process, especially things like PSAs or CRMs, you know, any sort of really critical business line app that you're now going to make this huge investment in, how do you get off of it? And I feel like way too many people never, ever, ever consider the exit strategy.
1: I think that's very true. I don't have much to offer on that side of it, but 100%. I mean, the only thing to kind of think about is is to try and actually understand who owns the data and to try and understand uh, when you say goodbye, what are you actually getting out of the system? Um, But you know, you've got this, we've kind of become conditioned in a peculiar way. Like for instance, you go to Facebook and you upload all your pictures we we've kind of given up if you will uh you know in the old days you might have taken a picture on a camera and you put it in a box and you've got it under your bed and you go and visit your parents and it's pictures from 70 years ago of your grandparents or your great-grandparents when they came from the old country standing there and they'll show you a little picture and you'll say oh wow you know we've given that up today like we we take our cell phones and we take 900 pictures and upload them all to facebook they're all the same picture plus minus you know Three blinks later, and we upload 900 pictures of the same junk. Um, But we haven't asked ourselves how we're ever going to get this back down. We haven't asked ourselves really who really owns the picture. We think because we don't care and we never read the fine print that actually we've actually given up copyright in these pictures, I suspect. I don't know what Facebook's rules are. I don't mean to single them out. That's not my purpose here. But the concept of we just uploaded them to some social media and we think we have control, but they're now everywhere. Um, how do and we, what actually are get they going to
0: do with that content, right? How Cause do maybe, we actually, maybe yeah. you didn't approve of what they're going to do with the content.
1: You might not even never know the internet is such a big place. You wouldn't even know where it went. So, so how do you actually ever get out of that system? I don't think we even think about that. I don't think we've ever thought about what's the real, uh, like, will I actually ever want this thing 70 years from now? Will I want to be able to show my grandkids or my great grand this picture? And we've lost that. And I suspect that we're making those kind of transient social media paradigms. And I think we're making that in many, many other situations. We've become accustomed to sort of saying it's transient. I'll just put it there. They'll look after it. And I don't really, I don't know. It'll, they'll look after it. And we kind of move on. And But I think you're right. I think when you get to it and you make change, it's very, very painful because can you get the data out? Can you get the transactions down? Can you actually refactor the transactions? Can you fill in all the data gaps? Can you actually move this from A to B? And it's not so easy. And moreover, how long did you invest in getting to point A in the first place? So the time frame to, you know, this is decide that this is not working, you know what I would call endless pain versus painful end and the endless pain says you just keep trying this and I'll, you know one more click one more click one more click and painful end says I've had enough I've got to do something else and I think I think that it's really hard to get to that point of I actually need to change and do something different and then to your point is how do you actually figure out how you're going to do that and what are the costs And when you get to the other side, did you really get what you thought you were going to get? Because the old product had three nice features that the new one doesn't have. So so we're stuck. We have strong opinions, as do I, as do you. And uh, we haven't solved the problem. Not even close.
0: You know, the approach that I've taken, because I've been supremely aware of the exit strategy and I've been supremely aware of what I call data sovereignty is I own my own servers in buildings that I own that I back them up to my appliances that I own that are in my buildings. You know, I mean, it's like a, you know, some third party provider cannot take that away. And so when I consume a service like Office 365 or Podbean, for example, where I post this podcast, that content, my source content, I always keep it separate. Uh, Same thing with the website, right? If I I write an article for my website, that's separate. I don't write it like in the WYSIWYG thing in the website. My assumption is that Mm -hmm. I don't need to exit a system. So that's the approach I've taken is saying, look, I'm going to assume that I'm not going to utilize whatever the system is forever. Mm -hmm. The thing I can actually count on is, you know, a file server with files in it, and I can continue to open those files. (laughs) You know, like that's what I count on because I've been able to migrate that, you know, for the last, you know, 25, 29 years here. And so I can upload whatever contents I want and I can present it for whatever purposes I want. But my assumption is my exit strategy from that is I don't need to extract. And I try to adhere as closely to that as possible. That clearly does not work in all cases, but I still think an organization needs to challenge themselves to say, what is our exit strategy from the thing? I've seen companies where they'll get like a student information system that's Mm cloud-based and they do all their accounting in that. And it's a very expensive annual subscription fee. Now, if they're going to migrate to a new student information system, their IT budget is just completely blown for that year because they have to pay for two systems. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, did they understand that as part of their, software selection evaluation criteria. And, you know, that's my main problem is I feel like people are not doing appropriate software selection. You know, the the thing that hacks me off about a lot of software sales is they're like, oh, do a trial. And, And it's like, no, we haven't even dated, you know, to your point, it's the first date. Is it even the right fit? So I'm always asking the question, what is your floor? Who is your target market? what, how, how much, you know, how can I get into your product for a very, very small quantity and live with this thing for six months with, you know, five users, for example, because I don't want to roll it out to 200 users until I've really, 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 really lived with this thing long-term and I've decided we want to get married, right, <laughs> you know? Um, right,
1: and, and, and my add to your point, which I think is a good summary, is just am I going to rattle around inside this thing or am I actually going to be able to use it? I just don't want to buy, you know, I just don't want to buy an Olympic-sized swimming pool when all I want is a hot tub. Yeah. And, and if I can get that flavor, you know, then I'm good to go. And to your point, but then, you you know, the, the, the last point here on the same subject is you can also do analysis paralysis and you can, never be, you can never make a decision either. So somewhere between the one extreme of called analysis paralysis, which gets everything figured out, which is really hard. And I suspect if you get all of that right, the number of potential vendors is really thin to uh, sort of somewhere along the line, I'm gonna have to do this because it's good enough. And finding that balancing point is again, a real challenge with, uh, particularly with people that like kind of expect perfection as opposed to, okay, it's good enough. We, it's solving the problem, it's good enough. And, 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 and finding that balance, it's a challenge. It's well, a challenge.
0: I, I think in many ways that comes down to that proper requirements definition. Like these are the things we have to have; these are the things we can be flexible on. And I've, you know, I've done that many, many times. I will say to a software vendor, uh, you know, you seem responsive. You don't have this feature functionality yet. Let's put that in as a feature request.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: do you think I can have that in like six months? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to adopt your platform, but I really need this. And they're mm-hmm. and if we can have a reasonable conversation where they say, "Hey, I see that point. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know, thanks for thanks for the suggestion." And then I see that come to fruition in six months.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: that's a software vendor. I want to have a partnership. Then you're
1: dealing. With. Then you're dealing with the right kind of vendor. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Because that's not easy to find. Right. Because most vendors, well, I shouldn't say most, but I think many vendors today, we're back to this starting point of this conversation. They're either hiding behind a website and you can't really find out who they are. And their immediate response is, well, our pricing's on the internet. It's $29 a user, download it and try it. Well, whoop-de-doo. How many times am I going to download and try it? Or they are, the full-scale enterprise where they process you and it's like, oh. So somewhere between those two extremes is trying to find back to what I would call right-size software or mid-market software, which which is what I'm actually trying to buy because I I know my needs are more complicated than just click and download, but I know my needs are not that different from where the enterprise is, but I just don't have 65 people to feed and bake and care and love the system. I need to actually click the transaction and bill my customer. So, well, so finding that paradigm is, is really what we're talking about. And well, I think and that comes down it comes down to executing the transaction and seeing how many clicks I had to do.
0: And there's only just so many things you can buy for $40,000 a year before <laughs> you don't have any budget left. <laughs> you yeah.
1: know? Especially I mean, they- if it didn't turn out to be right.
0: Well, it's pretty astonishing how many things are actually in the market that it's like, yeah, 40 grand a year. Like that's the baseline cost. It's like, come on, who is your audience here, people? <laughs> my goodness.
1: And don't get me started on some specifics, but I have I spent a lot of money on CRM type solutions. Uh, one or two products, you know, they were the best in the day. Oh my goodness. The amount of coding and scripting and fixing required to make this thing do something useful was inordinately extreme. It was almost like for every dollar of software, there was five bucks of back end professional services, which I didn't really understand at the time of buying the product. And I, that gave me a lot of pleasure, that product. Um, uh, and it didn't do a hell of a lot. And every time I kind of queried that, it was the sort of the responses. Well, we've got thousands of happy customers. You just must oh. be very difficult.
2: Oh. And I oh. kind of
1: always think, well, I don't know about those thousands of customers. I'm sure, I'm sure that they can't all be as. I'm sure they're not all as difficult as me. I just want to be able to do something. And uh, I didn't get the warm fuzzies, and but I had spent, you know, at that time you know, tens of thousands of dollars on this project because, you know, I got talked into buying the right thing. Um, you know, I thought, okay, this time I'm not going to cheap out. I'll buy the right thing. And man, oh, man, did I drown in this mess. Um, and eventually we used it for nothing and we basically just threw it all out and I just had to lick my lips and say, I'm sorry. Um,
0: yeah. Well, the whole, this, this whole argument, anytime somebody says to me as a retort, To a valid concern that I have brought forward. If they say to me, oh, we've got all these customers, the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. The rest of those people could be asleep at the wheel. And I could potentially be the only one paying attention. What they're doing for their business and their use case and how much they're paying attention and how happy they are or are not with your software. I don't care. It's completely irrelevant to this discussion you know, I'm your customer. I'm trying to use this software in this way. Either you agree that I have a valid concern and we can talk about it like adults or not. <laughs>
1: you know? Yeah. I mean, you see that too. And we're probably getting to the end of this conversation, but I think you're seeing that too, where I see, you know, they put like all their logos of their clients. and And then when you sort of say, well, you know, somebody the other day is showing me a product and they've got like a big brand icon on their website so trying to explain to me that this big brand is, you know, relying on their product. And then I, so, and they keep dropping these words. So, so can you just tell me at that brand, where exactly in that organization are they using it? What are they actually doing with it? And it comes out, you know, it's three guys in the download room somewhere and now downloaded it and used it and clicked on it. Well, you know, it's not actually that company using it. It's two people in the back office somewhere who fiddled with it, or it's being used in some little satellite office or something. So yeah. it's, 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 it's again, yeah. it's again trying to understand the propaganda because these websites yeah. and the marketing propaganda is just infinitely greater than, yeah. than the delivery and the capability of the product.
0: Well, that's why I feel like, you know, or, organiz-
1: Sorry, or or truth be told, just because Microsoft uses it <laughs> means I'm not going to be able to benefit from it anyway, because their needs and my needs are so diametrically opposed, it's useless to me anyway. So I don't know that that logo even helps me. Right. Like Find me someone who's peculiar like me, who has my little needs. That's who my reference point should be.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's an excellent point. Well, so I just want to thank you very much for your time. I, th- I think this has been very elucidating
1: anytime with pleasure
0: (laughs) and next
1: time we'll solve the world's climate change problems. We'll boil the water and we'll stop the polar ice caps from (laughs) melting. I don't know what we'll do something.
0: Well, I mean, I think this is such a difficult topic and uh, it's, it's astonishing how in alignment we are on these, these thoughts. And I, I feel like in so many ways, when I talk to other experts And when I find that, you know, my 20 plus years of experience and their 20 plus years of experience converge and we've kind of come to the same conclusions independently with all of that, those data points, you really get to some nuggets of some juicy and useful stuff there. So I've been taking some notes here and I'll post that with the podcast and hopefully the listeners can kind of, uh, make utilization of some of the high points of the conversation. So thank you again, Colin, for your time.
1: You're more than welcome. You have a great day. Thank you so much. Take care. We'll talk again.